I'm Ashlyn Keenan and you're listening to Every Moment the Podcast, now in its 11th season and supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. When I had my daughter, I wanted something I could trust to use on her skin and Water Wipes were and still are the one. I once made the mistake of trying a different brand and decided never again. I didn't realise just how much of a difference there could be between two fairly similar brands, but it was huge. My daughter is now two and I panic if I don't have at least one pack of water wipes within line of sight. With that in mind, I'm happy to say this season is supported by that most essential of products for every mum, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2022, including Best Baby Wipes, they are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Every Moment the Podcast. I'm Ashton Keenan, your host, and my guest this week is Audrey Dora Garrity. I first saw Audrey's story in The Irish Independent, where she spoke with incredible honesty about the heartbreaking struggle that she and her family are facing with their son, Harrison. He was diagnosed with autism at two years old and he's now nine, but recently his behaviours have become increasingly physical and aggressive and violent to the point that Audrey said she can be frightened of her own son. She describes her frustration as she tries desperately to get the type of help that her little boy needs and she says she can only live day to day because his future is so uncertain. Despite the severity of their situation and their constant fight to have Harrison properly assessed and properly supported, they have been forced to find psychiatric help in Spain because the resources are so scarce here in Ireland. Audrey's story is a very difficult listen, never mind her having to live it daily, as she and her family do. My hope for this episode is that as many people hear it as possible so that resources for families like Audrey's are made more readily available. Thanks for listening. Audrey Doric Garrity, thank you very much for giving me your time this evening. I wish that we were here to chat about something a little lighter, but unfortunately, as some of our listeners might have seen um, this past week, you were talking in the Irish Independent and on News Talk about the situation with your nine-year-old son, Harrison. Um, For anyone that hasn't seen that or heard the interview on News Talk, if you want to give us a little bit of background about what's kind of going on with your family at the moment. Okay, so thanks for having me on firstly, Ashley. Um, so Harrison is our nine-year-old eldest child. He was diagnosed with autism and ADHD when he was two years old. Um, and for the last couple of years, we've been struggling massively to manage his behaviours and we've struggled to access any level of state care or well, public or private psychiatry services, which we know he critically needs. Um, recently, we ended up in Crumlin Hospital. And um, sorry, my um, We ended up in Crumlin Hospital and we accessed the psychiatry team in there. And they, they literally couldn't believe that we had survived to the point that they could see us in. 
they thought it was an utter disgrace that we had been having to go to Spain to access psychiatry services um, and also that we just couldn't access any interventions in Ireland through the state or through any kind of multidisciplinary setting, which he really, really needs to to try and give him some sort of a normal life and to try and give us some sort of a normal life. Um, and basically I talked on the Irish Independent and on News Talk about the shortfallings in the HSE um, in all of the areas of services from assessment of needs to early intervention um, to the, the child disability team network um, and then all the psychiatry services such as CAMS and psychiatry for intellectual dis- intellectually disabled children. Mm-hmm. I know that the HSE made a statement to kind of say that you know, they're understaffed and they don't have the resources and, you know, the the kind of, I I don't want to say the usual things that they say, but, you know, that's kind of the typical response in those cases. And while that might be true, it doesn't make anything easier for families in your situation. So with with Harrison, I know you have other children as well. Is it three other children that you have? Two other children. So I've got a baby girl and a six-year-old boy. Okay. And in in the in Harrison's case, so he's he's diagnosed as autistic. Do you suspect, or has there been other diagnoses, or like, do you do you think there's something else going on there, or what kind of Lots differentiates of him? Okay. Um. Yeah. So he's like profoundly autistic. He's nonverbal. He has some words, but he would be considered nonverbal. Um. He has very poor interpersonal skills and social skills. Um, he has very low comprehension and really poor behaviours, which unfortunately include aggression and anger. Um, and as he gets older, that's manifesting more and more. So um, he's been seen by psychiatrists and not fully assessed because assessments take a long period and you need to be under someone's care for quite a long. And there needs to be a, a team to assess different areas to diagnose all of the disorders, I guess, but there's a suspicion that he has um, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, oppositional defiance disorder, um, uh, intermittent explosive disorder, and um, oh, there's another one that is failing me at the moment. Um, and then as well as that, um. Uh, a psychiatrist recently said that um, having witnessed one of his severe outbursts, um, he said you should probably open your eyes to the possibility that there could be some schizophrenia there too. Um, okay. But in a child, like he's very young to be able to diagnose that on. Um, but uh, from what he could see from some of his behaviours, he was concerned that maybe Harrison was responding to stimuluses within him or in the room that weren't present. Um, so he just he said, I'm not saying he is, I can't say if he is or isn't, but it's something that's worth just thinking about and not being scared of if you hear that big, scary term. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long, Harrison's nine and he was, you know, you found out that he was autistic when he was two. So how long has it been untenable, I suppose, for your family? How long has it been just something that you guys really need either like respite care or some other assistance, uh, you know, for, for your family? How long has that been going on? Um, I would say in all honesty, since he's been three, like we managed him quite well until he 
got to about the age of three when we then had him into a autism specific preschool. And then it was from kind of entrance into the educational system that the struggle started for access to services, including education. Um, and then also came the the slog of the constant phone calls from school or from the preschool saying he's done this, he's bit someone, he's hit someone, he's poor behavior, can you come in, you need a meeting, all the constant strain that a lot of parents don't suffer and a lot of parents do suffer that in regular mainstream crashes but Mm -hmm. um it was on a very regular basis so started then and then progressively things just got worse and worse and more difficult to manage to the extent that when he was five years old then we got reached our first kind of crisis point of we can't cope now and we brought him to the GP and we said we need he needs to be medicated we can we've tried ABA therapy on him for the last three years nearly every weekday privately we've done speech and language nothing is nothing is making a difference to him or his behaviors we feel he needs some form of medication maybe for his ADHD that he'd been diagnosed with three years before or if there was any medication for autism which there isn't really you can't we can't mm-hmm. there's no specific autism medication it's just medication for behaviors associated um and that GP felt it was beyond his kind of his area of expertise um, that he, he wouldn't have been able to prescribe for. So he then referred us into the psychiatrist privately in Temple Street. So that was our first kind of crisis call, I guess. But from mm-hmm. about the age of three, we were struggling with him. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot like you've kind of been passed from pillar to post, you know, totally. with, you know, someone just fobbing you off to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. And I know I read in the, the independent article that you said that, that, it was something to do with him, Harrison, having an, uh, what was it, an, a, verifi- a, a verified, not having a verified intellectual disability. So something that someone can kind of put a label on almost and say, this is this is the box that Harrison fits into, whereas obviously, you know, he doesn't quite fit into the mold anywhere. So you guys had to travel to have him medicated and to, to get prescriptions for him. Is that right? Yeah, so um, like there's so many kids that don't have a verified or non-verified intellectual disability. The vast majority of children don't need that assessment. And for anyone to access the state psychiatry services, they must, have, that's one of the criteria that they have to have a diagnosis of, diagnosis of intellectual disability or a confirmation of not having it. So that's a massive hurdle to try and jump through. We had a national educational school psychologist come to, to, come to his school to do an assessment on him. She couldn't fulfill the assessment because she couldn't get through to him because his level of ADHD and his behaviours were so bad. So he was so frantically moving that she couldn't get him to conform to the test and his behaviours were so poor that he wouldn't partake in the test that she was trying to carry out. So she couldn't give a sound, solid diagnosis of having or not having. So then on the bat of that, then we hit another crisis of managing his behaviours and not being able to access services. The psychiatrist from Temple Street retired um, he had no or his receptionist had no suggestion of any alternative psychiatrist apart from going back to the GP, getting a new referral and getting back on the to the end of the waiting list. So there's no one to take over. It was just back to the end with you. We're retired. Good luck. And goodbye. Um, so. So then, yes, the Spain came about because he was at serious risk of. Well, school was just 
in having such a struggle with him and they put so many interventions into place in, this, in his school placement of like introducing male SNAs and um, introducing a male teacher um, because the female SNAs were afraid to be honest of working beside him because he was getting aggressive and they couldn't manage his behaviours um, he had been segregated from his unit so usually in, a, in an autism unit there's six kids um, the other kids were scared of him, so he had to be removed from the other children and put into a room on his own. And then the SNAs or the teacher took turns hour by hour to kind of manage him or teach him. Um, but then the phone calls from the principal and the meetings with the principal became more and more frequent, more and more tiring and more and more upsetting that then I hit a brick wall of trying to find a psychiatrist that would take us on and that was mm-hmm. going to take us on fairly urgently because school needed mm-hmm. to see an urgent response for him to probably stay in the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I reached out to, I just found a forum online and I found a load of viable consultants, psychiatrists, email addresses, and I blanket sent them all a crisis email of, you know, we're struggling. The Irish system is failing us and um, we can't access psychiatry services. This is a description of his history. This is his behaviours. We think he needs this specific drug to help manage his behaviours. Please, please help. If there's anyone out there that can help us, please, we'll do anything for help. This is our last chance of just getting a life and improving his life, more importantly. Um, and then came back, like, no, I wasn't ignored at all by any of the people I sent emails to, whereas in Ireland, I've just been ignored. It's mm-hmm. just been you know, again, as you say, pillar to post, it was just not even like a recommendation of go somewhere else. It was just not dealing with that. That sounds like a really difficult child to be getting involved with. Don't want to get involved. Goodbye. So the Spanish ones, they, they especially reached out on phone calls and um, emails straight back and said, we'll see you. But to keep it like kosher, we need to see you in person, which is going to be a big struggle. But we do have, we've checked with the medical um, council in Spain and we can absolutely treat you and see you. But to to keep it all above board, you're going to have to come to us for our initial consultation. So we did it. We bit the bullet. It was horrific. We dragged him. He screamed. I'd say people probably remember us from the airport on the flight that day. Um, there was definitely a man sitting very close to us who I... I was so annoyed with because he was shouting and telling, you know, talking under his breath, saying how disgraceful it was that he was making so much noise. And he was very disgruntled on the fact that Harrison was misbehaving in his eyes. Um, But it was, yeah, it was a massive ordeal. It was so, and it's so unfair that we had to do that. And Mm -hmm. that subsequently um, we've shared our story with plenty of parents in the same situation a lot of which are patients of ours because we're dentists and we're very open and friendly with our patients. Um, and we know a lot of our patients have children with similar levels of need. Um, so we've shared our experience with them and quite a lot of them have gone and met the same psychiatrist and they've gone over and they've done it and they are now receiving help that they should be receiving in this country. Mm, yeah. And you know what? Like, I mean, for you guys, to be in the position to do that, obviously you're very lucky and you're very, you know, that's, that is a privilege that you guys have worked for. There's so many people who don't yeah. have that ability. There's so many people who can't just go on a plane to somewhere to find a psychiatrist. There's so many people who can't, you know, 
you can't afford yeah, private like, appointments. That's one of the reasons that I'm trying to get this. Yeah. Like yeah. no one wants to go public on what their real life is like. Yeah, I've yeah. laid it there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's in the hope that some kind of reform happens and yeah, people yeah. don't have to do this anymore because it's not achievable for the vast majority. Yeah. Um, like it, it, even for us, like it was awful, the whole the whole arrangement of it. But yeah. we were just in a position of there's no turning back. We have to do something. We have now. to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, no, lots of people can't do it. And can't do it. And that's yeah. the that's the difficult thing. But like, regardless of your your situation, you shouldn't have to. And like, like you said, traveling with Harrison was a huge, you know, a huge challenge. And there were people annoyed. And there was like that for you as a mother. That must have been incredibly oh, difficult. It was so upsetting. Like awfully upsetting because you're trying to protect your child, you love your child, and then you've got people giving out about your child and not understanding the circumstances. Or even if they did, they obviously just have no compassion for a child with an additional need. And yes, I understand it. It's annoying when there's noise, the baby's crying on a flight, people can get annoyed. I understand it. But if there was anything we could do to control his behavior, we would have been doing it instead of getting dirty looks from plenty of people on the plane and um, it was to the extent actually that one of the cabin crew on Aer Lingus came up to the man behind us and was like this family have a right to sit in front here now if you have a problem you can move that's fair play to them I have to say fair play to them because yeah. like I, I I wouldn't know I mean did you do you react in those situations like I would be I don't I don't know I've never been in your position in that sense, but would you turn around and say, listen, my son has additional needs. Please have some compassion. Please have some patience. We're trying our best here. Or do you just, do you just I, let I it be? I would love to be that composed to be able mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So usually I, I get real angry internally. Mm-hmm. And then my husband was there and I was like, Hugh, I am, I'm going to lose it in a minute. I'm going to lose it. If he doesn't stop huffing and puffing, I'm going to lose it. And then luckily anyhow, after she came over, he kind of de-escalated. Um, okay. But there has been occasions that like I've gone into a shop and Harrison's had a meltdown or he's, you know, one time he um, ripped a, he took a packet, a big packet of Skittles off the shelf and he ripped them open and they all went off the floor and someone was looking at me. And I just said, like, what the bleep are you looking at? I just, I just, cause I was trying, I was so stressed in the situation. She was looking at me and I just, I just kind of lost it myself and I just grabbed him and walked out. Um, so you, you try and be composed, but in a moment of kind of franticness and stress, sometimes you just yeah. have to cut and run. <laughs> and yeah, which is very, very understandable. Yeah. Very like I would, uh, yeah. And especially if it's happening, you know, if it's happening to you regularly and you're, you know, you're constantly faced with these situations in public or in front of people I I can't imagine how that must feel and how frustrated that must be for you so I can completely um empathize and I would absolutely probably be the same myself um uh, you were saying in um in the piece in the endo that you felt frightened um of yeah. your son which I mean it broke my heart um so I can't imagine as his mother how that must feel for you what why is that exactly and you know, how does that affect you as as his mother, his main carer, I suppose? Yeah, so um, like it's incredibly upsetting, obviously, to have that emotion towards your child. Um, it's just now in the recent couple of months, I guess, 
that medication we've had his medication firstly that he was on made a massive difference to his life and definitely took a lot of anger out of him and made him a happier child so we managed for quite a while and then he suffered a side effect of it so he had to come off it and he had to come off it quite dramatic like dramatically Mm -hmm. instantly and then Mm -hmm. really bad behaviors returned but at that stage he was a year and a half older from when he started the drug so obviously he'd grown he'd got stronger from when we last experienced the really bad behaviors Mm -hmm. and with it brought quite a lot of physical um high level aggression that probably wasn't as heavy-handed a year and a half before because he's a year and a half younger Mm -hmm. so you can feel the thumps harder um, he's probably kind of he's grown and he's learned different ways of hurting people. Um, the kicks are stronger, the bites are stronger. Um, when he was a year and a half younger, they weren't as hurtful, so um, or as scary. But um, certainly that totally escalated when we were in Crumlin, and one major part of that was probably because we were contained within a really small. Um, I was going to say hotel room, not a, definitely not a hotel room, a hospital room with no bathroom. And we had to keep him contained unless he needed to go to the bathroom because anytime he exited the room, there was likely to be a bad behavior. Um, so he was severely um, frustrated in the space and he took it out on us because we were there with him 24 hours a day. We never let, well, for one hour, one of the days I went for a shower. Um, but otherwise, we were there 24 hours a day the whole time. Um, so we were the ones that took the brunt of the force um, until we called the, the nurse button, which will also I likened it to the panic button in that space. Mm. And then mm. someone came or usually two nurses came and then we all got into a combat to calm him down or restrain him and sedate him. And then that took him out. So that really frightened me. I thought, oh Christ, how is this going to work now in our home environment with a little baby? And his little brother, who's already scared of him. Um, and now I know what he can do. And it's more than he's done before. Um, and he wants to do it. Not that not that he obviously, re- he doesn't want to be like this, but he has it in him to do it now when he's feeling mm-hmm. the way he's feeling. He is taking it out in a fo- in an angry force. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it does. It frightens me and it frightens me thinking, this, he's only going to get bigger and he's only going to get stronger. He's going to start puberty soon. That brings aggression in most males that don't have a whole array of other problems. So I'm very fearful for what the next couple of years is going to bring, unless we get on top of a lot of his issues. Yeah. And you were saying as well that, I, I mean, his the fact that his siblings, particularly the little brother as opposed to the baby who I'm sure is pretty much kept away most yeah. of the time but like the fact that his his little brother is, is scared of him and can't be around him have you had to separate them at home a lot and have 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 you had to kind of just step away with the baby and the and your other little boy um yeah well so up to the point of going into the hospital um we didn't have to do as much of that obviously since then we now are very aware of the risks mm-hmm. um, and we were aware of risks before but not to the same extent as what we know now but even mm-hmm. prior like CJ he's my six-year-old um, mm-hmm. uh, like on a daily basis or a couple of times a week 
Like he strives to have a relationship with his brother. He's never given up on him, despite the thumps he's had and the slaps he's had. Um, but he really wants that brotherly love. And that's why he was so excited when I was pregnant, because he thought a new baby was going to bring a new chance of that sibling love and fun and life that, you know, you typically see. Um, so, um, but even prior to going into the hospital, he would often, a couple of times a week, They'd be downstairs. We've got one of these upside down houses. The living room's upstairs. The bedrooms are downstairs. So um, they'd be downstairs. I'd be upstairs in the kitchen or living room. And then CJ, you just he'd run up the stairs crying because Harrison would have hit him. Or you'd hear a ruckus downstairs. And CJ probably had something to do with it also because boys will do a bit of rough and tumble. But um, he'd always be the one that was hurt or upset by it. Um, And then when Harrison went into hospital... Um, as like really sadly, CJ did voice quite a lot of um emotions on him wishing Harrison didn't come home from the hospital because he and he also voiced that if he did come home, I hope that because he went in with a limp, so he voiced that um if he did come home, he wished that he would be in a wheelchair so that he couldn't access him in certain areas of the house, and then he proceeded to show me those areas of the house that a wheelchair just wouldn't be able to access within our space. So that broke my heart. Yeah. That's, I can't even imagine, like, for you as a mother, to to hear that from a six-year-old. Yeah, a six-year-old that's grown up way beyond his years because he's seen yeah. so much more than a six-year-old from a neurotypical family. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a, he's a much more experienced six-year-old than he should be. Um, and I used to think, I used to honestly think that the effect of having Harrison as a brother on CJ would mean he'd grow up to be a really empathetic, sweet, kind adult. And I do, I do think that too, but I just feel in the last year, it's probably gone that little bit too far that it's, it's just affecting him in a much more negative way now. Mm-hmm. that he's getting traumatized to a degree of what he's seeing and what's happening yeah I suppose as he gets that little bit older as well it's 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 sinking in you know the seriousness of of what his brother could potentially do or yeah and he did like you say even um yesterday and I'm, I've told my story very honestly so there's no point in holding back on any information but um, yesterday we had a really bad day with Harrison and it was to do with the school. School have wanted to take him back. And so he's been going back into the school for the last almost a week. Um, and he decided yesterday morning, no school. And when you have this defiance disorder, there's, it's very hard to get around someone who, an oppositional defiance disorder, um, who decides they're not doing something. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I was trying to broach the the subject to get into him to school quite carefully anyhow it came to fruition that he just wasn't going to go so I rang the person that drives the special needs bus and I said there's no point in collecting us today I can't mobilize them so um you just take off and then eventually anyhow after about half an hour Harrison decided to put his uniform on on his own accord because he decided to do it that was fine so I was like okay do you want to go to school Harrison mommy bring you to school and he said yes school I'm ready or he gestured to that effect anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I said, okay, come on, let's go. And then we went outside to the garden and I said, okay, into the car. And I was bringing CJ to school also um, because he goes half an hour later. So I said, um, into the car. And he said, and he walked towards the gate. And I said, her into the car. 
And he said, I want bus. And I went, are the buses gone? And with that, he, he doesn't understand that he wants what he wants. He wanted that bus to be there. He didn't understand why the bus wasn't being there. It was wrecking his routine. And then that came with eventually me. So Hugh's dad was still here at that stage. He's gone home now since last night. Um, but it ended up with me on the ground at, at the gate, trying to keep him protected from not running out onto the road. I was on the ground. He was kicking me. He was biting me. He was hitting me. CJ was witnessing the whole thing. Despite me saying, CJ, please go inside. Please, please just go inside. Uh, uh, in the midst of trying to like defend myself and carefully restrain Harrison. Hugh's dad was holding the baby. And then this went on for about, I'd say, 20 to 25 minutes. A good 20, 25 minutes. He went over to the car. He kicked the windows of the car, tried to break the handles off the car. Um, got into the car. And then eventually um, I had to, I had him on the ground um, in a safe kind of restraint. And I got all upset, just saying, please stop, just please stop. Um, and again, CJ witnessing this, Hugh and Hugh's dad, dad's dad, and then Hugh's dad said, take the baby and I'll take over. You take the baby, I'll take over. So I took, I stood up, Harrison ran at me again. I grabbed the baby. Hugh, who's Hugh's dad, he then took over from Harrison at the same time, Harrison ran out the gate at this point, and then Hugh ran after him, got him back in. And then I went into the house, assuming that Harrison was in the safe kind of or company of his dad. But anyhow, uh, Harrison ran at me, and I didn't see, and I was holding the baby, and he grabbed her legs. And only that Hugh, the his dad was there to get his hands off her. I don't know what I would have done. Like, I was totally frightened in that sense, going... What? How would I de-escalate him and keep everyone safe now in this situation on my complete own? Because like Hugh is in Dublin and work for three days a week, which he has mm -hmm. to go to. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, it is. It's frightening. It's not nice for CJ to see Isla Rose, who's the baby. She luckily doesn't. She's unaware as far as you can assume from a baby. Mm -hmm. But she certainly mm -hmm. gets startled by his screaming. Um, mm -hmm. And equally, then her crying agitates him. So it's like a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Dare I ask, how are you coping? Like, how, how are you still, you know, getting through the day? I, I mean, I remember when my daughter was 15 weeks old, which is the age that your Isla Rose, your youngest is, I could barely, you know, get the shopping in and do my do the basic bits and pieces around the house. And you, your situation with Harrison seems constant. Like it's a... It's a, it's always there all day long. There's no respite. There's no breaks for you, for your husband, for your husband's father, for anyone who is is helping you in, in what you're going through. My husband's father now, um, he lives in Wales, so he was only over for the, the over the, for a bit. The, okay, it's just crisis call. Um, but no, it's we. It's it's only me and Hugh, my husband, that suffer the constant, the constant. Yeah. So like when we were in when we moved to Wexford for a schooling place and because we had heard Wexford was a great place for kids with special needs. And mm -hmm. um, we did that in a way quite, we did it carefully and thoughtfully in that we said that could be a good thing for us because we're getting nothing from state services in regard to respite. And um, we don't have a lot of personal um, support apart from my parents who lived in Dublin, who live in Dublin. And um, mm -hmm. so we thought, 
if we move somewhere that's in a, within a reasonable distance of Dublin, um, you can go to work two and a half or three days a week and then we can switch places and then I can go to work two and a half to three days a week in Dublin also. Mm-hmm. So it means you're definitely guaranteed two and a half, two, sorry, two or three nights sleep. Um, and that is one mechanism. It's a pathetic way of giving one another a respite because it's on the back of a full day, eight to six work. Um, but it was our strategy of survival. And that went on for about two and a half years. Um, now, I don't know what the future holds with regard to how we're going to manage that now that things have escalated um, and that potentially we do need more bigger people on site. Um, mm-hmm. But we, me and Hugh, we're lucky that we we both know the difficulties of this existence that we have. And we both support one another um, and we both kind of stick by one another. So when I'm down, he pulls me up and when he's down, I pull him up. And hopefully we both both just don't go down together at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. But we have had like in especially in the last couple of weeks when things really got very, very hard. Um, I have been honest and I continue to be honest that I've now gone on antidepressants again and anti-anxiety medication. Um, and that has helped. It's a crutch for the short term and hopefully it's just for the short term, but that has definitely um, made a difficult situation less awful. Mm -hmm. But I mean, take the crutches where you can get them. Do you know what I mean? If there is something that's going to make your your day to day that little bit easier, I think go yeah, for it you no know there, I have no shame in it no uh, I think these things are here for, to help people when they need mm-hmm. them yeah absolutely. all the time or they might need them in short spurts but certainly makes a big difference and it was definitely required um mm-hmm. on the bat of the recent developments mm-hmm. it sounds like you are living a very physical life at the moment with Harrison like if it sounds like your days must be very physically exhausting as well as obviously there's frustration and there's anger and there's upset but it sounds like you go through a lot physically with Harrison and your other children how like how do you manage that do you just end every day absolutely beyond exhausted um like like don't get me wrong there are some days that he's okay like today we've had a good day so far he's still awake I can hear him running around upstairs like what time is it after nine, that's fine. But um, uh, he's had a good day in that we've just done a bit of rough and tumble and tickle to try and kind of get that physical side out of him rather than having mm-hmm. to be in a self-defense mode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But when the days that are difficult, like yesterday was a difficult day, um, they are exhausting. And it's more from an, like we're used to the physicality of it it's more from an emotional side side effect of um, an upset and a a panic and mm-hmm. a, a thinking of uh, of a worrying for the future. Mm-hmm. And it, when it comes to the future, I know you mentioned that you kind of worried that as Harrison gets older, without intervention or more intervention, he could potentially be a threat to his own life other people how like when you think about the future is that what it looks like for you at yeah. the moment 
Yeah, and it again, it's another thing that's so sad to think about because he's a child that's so loved and he's so beautiful. And he, when he is in good form, he is the loveliest, gorgeous child. He'd give you cuddles and snuggles and kisses. But when he's angry, which he is a lot, his strength is superhuman and his determination to cause harm is next level. Um, and we can only just put that together and think if we don't get him to a position where we can control this and minimize it or reduce it um, as he gets older and stronger and probably more determined. Um, it's a very worrying thing to think about of where he could end up. And I wish the ministers and the politicians and all the people that hold the purse strings could see and understand that families are asking for help in the younger years to avoid so much hurt and upset for themselves yes but also it'll cost them a lot less in the short term to make these children better citizens mm -hmm. than what could happen if they're let continue on the trajectory trajectory that they're going um when then and then if they did need to go into a um detention center prison after whatever incidences that would likely happen um that's going to cost the state a lot more than providing respite and psychiatry services psychology services occupational therapy multi all that kind of stuff that costs a lot less to roll out and you have a lot more less aggrieved happy families living in Ireland if they could just listen to listen to people who have been banging on their doors for years and years it must it must worry you as his mother you know what the future looks like and you know every parent wants their child to grow up and have a full life and have friends and have partners and go oh, yeah. on holidays and and that's know, something that most parents who have special needs kids um really struggle with and I've struggled with it for years that it's a real sadness that you feel when you think about the like when you have a baby when he was a baby um you look at him and you go oh I wonder now will he what will he do will he be a dentist like me or will he play rugby like his daddy or um what will he be I wonder what is what what will he look like on his wedding day and then when you get, sorry, I'll get upset now, but when you get, when you have the realisation that those things are never going to happen and like none of those things are going to happen for him. He's never going to have a friend. He's, he'll never have a girlfriend. He'll, he'll never, he'll never amount to kind of, you know, what society perceives as being successful. Um, He'll never um, live like other people. He'll never feel happiness like we feel when we have these major life events. Um, and it hurt. It does hurt. It's so sad to know that he won't. Um, but most parents that are in our position will have thought of that. And you spend years and years looking at other families with the same age child and you cannot help as much as people try and say to you don't compare stop 
comparing. You can't help it. And it absolutely destroys you to the core when you see a child of the exact same age yapping away to his mom, smiling, having an ice cream, you know, skipping along the street, going to the shop, just generally being a happy-go-lucky child in society, enjoying their life. And then you look at your own child who's having a really, really shit life. Um, and then you look at your own life and the bat of um, your child's um, it, it, neurodevelopment or developmental issues um, and other conditions. And you see that the constraints that have been put on your own life. Um, so it is, it brings a huge amount of sadness. This podcast is just one way that every mum supports you. Another amazing way is our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland. To receive yours, register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. What are your kind of options now as you look towards Harrison's future and you know, his schooling as he gets older and things like that. Like, what are the what are the options that you guys are exploring as a family and what kind of adaptations do you have to make to your life to, you know, make things as easy as possible for all of you, not just Harrison? Um, we to be honest, we kind of just take things day by day. Sometimes okay. we're taking things error by error. Um mm-hmm. we look at the future and we worry about the future. Um, there isn't a lot of things you can do to future plan with children with special needs because there is such limited resources out there and places for them. So you kind of just have to go with the flow of where he can be put. You don't get to choose. You are told where he's going pretty much. You have very limited scope for having any decisions in their education, their schooling options. You go to the places that have school places that are available. You move to those places or whatever. Um, you're a lot more limited on any decisions. Mm-hmm. And you fight and, to get to all these places too. They don't come easily. You fight mm-hmm. for them. Because mm-hmm. obviously there are there are limits to what is provided and there are so many families in in need and which is probably why you ended up having to go to to Spain and to travel for prescriptions and for diagnoses and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's probably not the people that are in these services that are at fault because we've met some very nice people in these services. Of course, yeah, yeah. Trying to trash them at all, but it's the people that hold the purse strings to give these services the staffing and the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is government and they mm-hmm. are failing everyone. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the gist of the HSE statement that they gave to the independent was, you know, we don't have the resources, we don't have the funding, we don't have the staff. And that mm-hmm. while they would love, you know, obviously they're they're healthcare professionals, they're they're carers, they're people who want to help, but they just can't facilitate everyone. And you're right, it is, it is, it has to come from the top, it has to come from more funding and just yeah, and in a country that's apparently the second most rich country in the EU, mm-hmm. and we're all they're always blowing their own, their own t- trumpets about how well the country's doing and how rich mm-hmm. we are and our economy and whatever, and then they just do not give it to the people in need. Yeah, and in terms of the kind of the 
very kind of like the next few weeks, the next few months. Are you guys still living together with Harrison? Are you like, what's the kind of situation there in the kind of immediate future? So um, my parents who have been like the major support to us over the last eight years, I guess, or nine Mm -hmm. years, um, they are on a well-needed break um, because they took over whilst we were in Crumlin um, and they return home on Monday. Um, at which point they're going to come down and help me. But up to this point, then Hugh's parents had to come over and be the other adults. Because Crumlin actually wouldn't release us because they knew of how Harrison's behaviours were. They wouldn't let us be released unless there was another adult in the house. Okay. And they knew I was going to go to a safe place of, of another family member's home in the same town in, in Rossler Strand. Um, so... And we know, we realise that now that we do need for the for the for the time being, and maybe hopefully not forever, that there needs to be more um adult people on site just to help in case there's a problem. Um so for the short term, um Hugh is going back like we have to think about sustainability of life also. So Hugh can't be here forever. He has to go back to work. His work's mm-hmm. in Dublin. So he goes back on a Sunday night at about seven or eight o'clock. Um and then he doesn't get back here till Wednesday evening at about seven or eight o'clock also. Um, so in the very short term, my parents are going to step in and come down and be here whilst he's not. Um, okay. And then when he arrives back on a Wednesday, then they will go back to their home. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not ideal because it's not what they should be doing there in their 70s, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, they've done their piece, their part of life that they have looked after people and us and brought us up that they shouldn't have to step into this role. There should be other people, again, which should be supplied and supported by government that are providing this support for a family that really need it. Like, especially given Crumlin wouldn't discharge it unless they knew that there was someone else there at home because they obviously saw that Harrison was a risk to you and to your younger children. Yep. It's, it's it's that sounds you know that that doesn't compute that they were like well we can't release you until you've got you know the adequate setup and yet where are you supposed to find that like if your parents weren't in a position to help yeah you know what do you do there yeah I don't know I I don't know what if you if you were someone who was didn't have any friends or family or anyone to help you couldn't afford to get someone in to help you um, I don't know whether you could be released. And in Crumlin, there on the ward, on the one ward we were on alone, and there is many, many wards in Crumlin, there were two rooms occupied by other children that had been just released from their parents' care, as in the parents said, can't do it anymore. You need to take like this child needs to be managed in some level of support system, which we can't get outside of here. So He's going to have to stay here or she is going to have to stay here until you figure it out, Mr. Government. And they've one child has been there for a year and four months and has not been put in a residential place. So it's taking up a hospital bed, but not taking it up because they do need psychiatric help. So they're getting managed psychiatrically, which they can't get in community. Um, but they are taking up like a a bed that could be used for a medical reason that might be would be needed in a hospital like Crumlin. Um, and I'm sure there's other children on other wards that have just been kind of left in there because parents have cannot cope. 
and they don't have people that can support them outside in the community. Like luckily I I have for the moment, but my parents are old. They're not going to be around forever and they're not going to be able to either do this forever. Their health is only going to worsen as they get a bit older. And um, then I don't know where, where we are if we don't get state sports. Had you ever, had, have you ever come to that point where you've just thought the best thing for us as a family potentially the best thing for Harrison would be to do that and to just say I can't mm-hmm. we we as a family can't manage Harrison I'm going to leave that over to you have you ever come close to to that point yes yeah in like that that conversation was had whilst we were in Crumlin and it was had with people um uh have to be careful what I say it, it was talked to us with, with some staff in the hospital that they were kind of saying that this has happened before. You'd be within your rights to just walk out. And if you walk out, he will get the psychiatric care that he needs, which he should be accessing in community. Um, And he will be cared for. He won't be cared for by his parents, obviously, because you'd have walked out. But there will you will be provided with the carer. It's amazing. Like he would be provided with a twenty four hour carer of they do twelve hour shifts each in a hospital setting. But we can't get that outside of the hospital. Um, and he'd stay in there most likely for the same term as that that other child that was on the ward. So a year and a half almost, um, mm-hmm. until a suitable residential placement came up. Um, so the conversations were had. Uh, we couldn't do that just emotionally it would have destroyed us and killed us because as I said we do have mo- we do have days that he's incredibly the most amazing child and we see the potential that he has if he could just be managed properly um, and we do have hope that we can get him to a position that we don't ever have to think about full-time residential care but it is in like full-time residential care is in the back of our mind mm-hmm as a long-term potential. And is that something that the state provides or is that something that you would have to fight for again? Or oh, fight. Um, Everything's fight. Nothing is, nothing's provided by the state without a massive fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from what I can gather, the most, the easiest way or the, uh, the most guaranteed way of getting state provided residential care is to do what those mothers had to do. They were forced to do of just entering into a hospital situation and saying, I can't do it anymore. I cannot do it anymore. You can look after him or her or whatever. And I've had so many people reach out to me on the bat of the independent and um, news talk interview um, explaining to me that that's what they did do got one girl who told me today she, or yesterday she um her child was seven when she had to let them let her go into um the hospital and that she stayed in the hospital for nine months and then went into a residential setting and she's been in the residential setting for two years and now she and now she can't get her out she's trying to get her out and they won't let her don't let her out so you know you you you, you fall into a lot of risk by doing things like that which mm-hmm. we'd be conscious of um and then another mother told me that she fought and fought and fought for respite and for services until her child got to the age of 18 and on his 18th birthday 
she brought him to the hospital and she said, I can't, on literally on his 18th birthday. So I can only imagine how heartbreaking that was for that mother on that kind of momentous occasion to go, I've done it as a child, as in, him as a child, I can't do it now. I have to give up now on, on, on a birthday like that. Like mm-hmm. only a mother in that situation can understand why she had to do it and how mm-hmm. horrendous that must have been to go through. Mm-hmm. It must be, yeah. To even to even have to have those types of conversations about your, your child must just be shattering as, as a parent. It must just be awful. It's, un, it's unthinkable, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it does. It brings us both down to a very low place when we when we think about it and when mm-hmm. especially in a good when he's in a good even mm-hmm. so not even always a good, even when he's in a bad phase, we're going, Harrison, please, if you do, if you keep going like this, it's gonna end so badly. We want you, we want to keep you. We want to live, we want to love you forever. We want you to be our pal when we're older. But we want a gentle giant. We don't want an angry big man who's going to be a threat to us a gentle giant we can manage we can't manage it a, a scary big boy no no Audrey I really like I I hope um that this episode just that's enough people listen to it enough people hear your story from the Indo, from news talk from this from you know any other media that you you do I just it absolutely breaks my heart that you and other parents are in this situation and there's the the resources just aren't there so if anyone that's listened to this is in the same situation I really um I just hope that something changes from you being so honest and telling your story completely as it is and not holding back any of the details that must that in itself I just think is incredibly brave of you aside from what you're doing to to keep your family together and to help Harrison to tell your story and get that out there and and you know have people hear what the realities of day-to-day life are for you I think it's incredibly brave um, so thank you for sharing all that with with me and the Every Mum listeners. I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland for their support. Their wipes are made with simply two ingredients, 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. And they are also plant-based and plastic-free. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. You can share this episode across social if you like and you can get in touch with the guest on social media and their handles will be in the show notes. 